0: And our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream
1: Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Cooper. And today I'm delighted to have on the program Lee Vogel from Kansas City, Missouri. And Lee is with the Missouri Hunting Heritage Foundation. Lee, it's good to have you on today. Thank you
2: so much. It's actually Federation.
1: Federation. Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I always like to get those titles right, and I think I just wrote it down and, and, and said it wrong anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that standard? No problem. I, I'm, I'm used to yeah. that sort of thing because I'm over at St. James, Missouri, and we have Merrimack Spring Park here. That's what first brought me to the Ozarks, wow, 40, 45 years ago. Such a terrible time. With the spellings because Merrimack Spring was spelled M A R A M E C, and we had the Merrimack River that ran through the park, and it was spelled M E R A M E C.
2: Oh my gosh, that's and, just amazing! Anybody could get it right then,
1: yeah. And then just about 40 miles away, we had Merrimack State Park spelled like the, the river. And people got the two oh parts confused, and to this day, all those spellings are still just a tremendous problem. So, But anyway, <laughs> we'll get to Missouri Hunting Heritage Federation. and uh, Yes, sir. Good. All right. We'll be correct from here on out. <laughs> well, Lee, good. you are actually the founder of the federation, is that correct?
2: Co-founder, actually, yes. Yes, me and uh, Alan Hoover.
1: Alan Hoover? Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, okay. He's a pet- he passed away oh, about seven years
1: ago. Oh, sorry, sorry to hear that. But I got mm-hmm. acquainted with the uh, Hunting Heritage Foundation through Kenny Kieser. He's a fellow outdoor rider from the Kansas City area. And, of course, I've mm-hmm. known Kenny for decades. We've duck hunted together and written some stories together and, and told a lot of lies together, I think. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, is Kenny on your board? Is that is that the case?
2: Yes, he is. He's on our board of directors.
1: Well, just so our listeners will, will know, you know, there are lots of conservation organizations out there anymore and hunting organizations. And uh, how long has Federation been in existence?
2: Uh, actually, uh, after Alan and I met, we were both uh, hunter ed instructors. And uh, we were uh, kind of ran across each other at the annual conference of the uh, uh, Conservation Federation of Missouri, got to talking, found out we were both from the Kansas City area got to be friends, started sharing a ride down to these kinds of meetings. And uh, uh, we were noticing that, uh, uh, you know, we had a lot of kids coming through the Missouri Hunter Education Certification class. But oftentimes, actually most of the time, what we found out is those kids that go through the class, but they never actually got out on a hunt. They never actually experienced what it was like to be outside at dawn. And uh, uh, Alan called together a couple of his fellow instructors, contacted some kids from a a recent class, and uh, managed to uh, put together a little mentor uh, hunt for them, for about five of them. And that was back in 2006. And uh, it was very successful. One of the youngsters harvested a turkey. He and I continued to talk about this. We also noticed that you know, uh, Missouri was at that time getting ready to celebrate fifty years of hunter education, and uh, and uh, uh, actually award their one millionth student that came through their, their course. Wow! But we were, but we were still, even though we had kids coming through the class, the number of new hunters that joined up, uh, started hunting again, started hunting, was not keeping up with the number of hunters that were retiring from the field. Mm-hmm. So every year we had a certain amount of attrition. We were losing hunters every year. We just they weren't being replaced. So we continued to talk about this. Uh, we added a, oh, uh, an opportunity for kids to, to have their first opportunity to shoot in a supervised live fire situation. Usually at a range, not in a hunting situation. And we added a camp lunch, and ultimately this became uh, our Missouri Hunting Heritage Federation clinic. And so we incorporate the Missouri class, a supervised live fire, an individually mentored hunt, and then a camp lunch afterward. It's all done in one weekend. I only did a couple of more of these in 06 and 07. We formed uh, our first, you know, I think formalization of our group. We had our first board of directors meeting December of '07, And uh, we got our 501c3 uh, not-for-profit status from Missouri in April of 2008, and we've just taken off from there.
1: Wow, that's that's quite a story, and it's quite an undertaking, because I can identify with that just a little bit. Several years ago, gosh, I can't remember how long ago, must have been about this same year. Uh, Time or maybe in the late 90s, uh, I did a lot of volunteer work for an outfit called the Land Learning Foundation, and they're up kind of northwest Missouri. The Evans brothers had like 20,000 acres accumulated up there along the Missouri River, and they'd gotten hold of my wife and I. We were doing a lot of work with the National Wild Turkey Federation at the time and the youth programs. We ran a hunter apprentice school or the Missouri State Board of NWTF, for like 17 years. But uh, we did some volunteer work with the Evans, and uh, we held, I guess, some of their first youth programs, and Of course, these guys had renovated 11,000 acres of wetlands, if you can imagine that. They owned a heavy heavy equipment company, and we wound Mm -hmm. up doing, oh, duck hunts, deer hunts, dove hunts, rabbit hunts, all sorts of things, and uh, they had an old lodge that we utilized until they eventually built us seven little log cabins, and that wasn't enough. Uh, They wanted to do other youth programs, so they finally built a lodge to house over 100 kids, so it uh, turned out to be quite an adventure but uh how many board members do you guys have lee
2: oh we've got about a half a dozen we're always looking for more
1: <laughs> oh, always look <laughs> yeah i understand that that feeling that there's, there's always a need for more advice and, and more help uh can do do you off the top of your head can you tell me who your board members are and where they're from We've
2: got a, a, a different kind of an eclectic group here. Uh, our president is Stacey Hubler, and uh, she is actually the daughter of co-founder Alan Hoover. Uh, okay. Our treasurer, Mike Borgating, uh, he's from Kansas City. Uh, he uh, works for an accounting firm. Uh, Kenny, as you mentioned. Uh, Frank Dugan, a recently retired uh, gentleman who's also one of our clinic organizers. Oh gosh. Well, Stephen Rulo out of uh the Cass County Raymore area. Um and trying to think of who else that may be it for the moment.
1: Uh, well, sounds like quite a diversified group. Right? Are they all hunters, I assume?
2: No, they're not as a matter that, of fact. That's interesting. That's, yeah, that's been one of the things that has worked out really well for us is is if we can bring on a variety of skill sets and backgrounds and, and, and network connections. Uh, we kind of thought that this was all going to be a bunch of hunter instructors and that's where it was going to stay. But we found out that in order to sustain ourselves as an organization, we were going to have to have other people who had the interest, uh, and, uh, a lot of those uh, people, uh, you know, they want to see the hunting tradition, uh, perpetuated. Uh, there are others are very excited to see, uh, uh, that, that we're getting kids out from behind the computer screen and getting them outside
1: that that is so exciting uh, of course i'm 72 years old i'm not as active in youth programs as i I used to be but i certainly have a lot of respect for people that tackle jobs like this because you can run into a lot of interesting situations but having a variety of board members from various uh, background has, has got to be uh, the way to go i would say because sometimes you know it's uh, I, I know back in the day when i served on a lot of these kinds of boards of these kinds of organizations a lot of us I thought exactly the same way, you know, and sometimes when you got some new and fresh blood with, that look at things just a little bit differently, it, it makes the program all the better. So are, mm-hmm. are you guys um, strictly just hunting programs, or, or do you include some other activities in your hunting curriculum?
2: We have run trapping clinics uh, and, uh, once in a while. We don't do a lot of them anymore. Uh, we find that if uh, there's kind of a niche that we have we try to stick to the clinic model and so that would of course incorporate virtually any kind of hunting that's available in the state of Missouri whether it's turkey, deer, waterfowl, uh, squirrel uh, and and we find that for us finding those youngsters who don't have the opportunity, uh, they don't have the, the property they can hunt on, they don't have the the mentor and the family to pass that down, those are the youngsters that we're really uh, mostly interested in from about the age of 11 to 16 who just don't have the access and opportunity to be able to learn how to hunt. And uh, that's what we stick to.
1: Yeah, and I don't think you'll ever run out of... uh... Uh, students either because there's plenty of children no. out there in that age range that uh, have never had the opportunity to get out in the outdoors and and particularly to, to hunt you know and to mm-hmm. be among uh, uh, kids their own age and people who have the expertise to teach them the, the proper way to go about uh, hunting but uh, do most of your uh, students come in from around the Kansas City area or do you get them from a broader geographical base?
2: It's it's a little bit of both, but yes, we've had uh, you know we'll we'll have kids that are right on the periphery of the city limits, like in that Cass County area, but we've also had people from across the state. We've actually had people come in from Kansas and Illinois as well, and uh, I think probably the the big draw is just the uniqueness of our program and the fact that the, regardless of whether the parents do have a hunting tradition in their family or don't. The, the, the parents like the fact that these kids are going to learn everything or be exposed to everything the right way the first time, and that's enough to even draw them from a fair amount of fair distance.
1: I would I would say so, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you used the term the right way because you know mm-hmm. as old as uh, I am, uh, I grew up on a, a rural farm in Southeast Missouri, and we kind of. Uh, learn by uh, paying attention. <laughs> you know, nobody, had, well, you never heard of a uh, uh, hunter education class. Hunter education was came from your, uh, hopefully, your dad, sometime big brother, cousins, uncles. It was usually uh, family or uh, a close friend. But uh, of course, my dad was a World War II veteran and he was a real stickler for uh, gun safety and he uh unbeknownst to him, kindly, I guess he taught us uh, both uh, gun safety and the hunter education in, in the process. And he was a real stickler about game laws as well. And mm-hmm. a lot of people, particularly in that day and time, were not. So I guess mm-hmm. I had a bit of an advantage. But my dad was also a great marksman. And uh, he uh, used to talk about uh, basic training in World War II. I think they spent 13 weeks uh, on the rifle range well you know you're going to learn a little bit in 13 weeks
2: <laughs> oh my gosh yeah, yeah absolutely and you know the the other thing too well alan and i will we compare notes and putting this together we were talking about the fact that we had completely different experiences uh, being introduced to hunting and we between the two of us knew there were certain things that we wished we would have learned up front uh that we didn't just kind of like what you're talking about And what I also really like about, I'm a city kid, Alan was a country kid. Uh What I also like about our our Missouri class is that you're also exposed to conversations about conservation, the history of Missouri, hunters' ethics, and uh, the role that hunters play in managing wildlife, which is more of a big-picture perspective
1: it it really is and i i can't imagine you know kids being lucky enough to to find all of that in inside one organization and it it's just a great great thing and it it kind of puzzles me a bit you know we have all of these Great programs these days, but a lot of states are still losing uh, hunter numbers. Now, Missouri, as I understand, uh, this was the case twenty years or so ago. We were one of a couple of states in the union that uh, were still actually gaining slightly in hunter numbers, and I, I give credit uh, to that fact to you know our Missouri Department of Conservation for one, but also you know Missouri is just a great conservation state. We uh, set aside our decided to have our conservation department i guess 1936 or 37 and and we made it non political for the most part and so we're professional people who take care and run the programs in our Missouri Department of Conservation. Then we've had great organizations, these single-species conservation organizations that have come along, like the National Wild Turkey Federation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Ducks Unlimited, and on and on. And many of those had their own youth programs. So they've, uh, we've had decades of kind of youth uh, and hunter education here in the state of missouri plus uh, we chose to tax ourselves in 1984 with one eighth uh, of one percent sales tax which generates tens of millions of dollars for our conservation department every year so for the most part i think we're ahead of most of the other states uh uh, in the United States, when it comes to uh, hunter education and outdoor education and those sorts of things. Well, at least stay on the line with me. We may take just a short break here and listen to some of today's sponsors. But, folks, don't go away. We'll be right back.
3: Hey everyone, Brandon Licklider here with the Mary's County Bank. Um, the last show, we talked a little bit about the pre-qualification process and what documents would be needed um, to kind of start that process. Um, Today, I'm going to move into the next stage, which I would consider the review stage of the application. Um, and of course, on the banking side, we're going to go through some generic things, equity position and repayment ability, prior performance that you've had. Um, but the main thing that's going to happen in this stage is we're going to have kind of an interview process with you where we try to figure out how this purchase works into your long-range plan. Um, there's a lot of different ways to, uh, to purchase these properties. There's different products and there's different ways of getting there. Um, some people have... Maybe they have a lot of equity in one property that they need to transition to this new one. Uh, We have some temporary financing or some things in place to help make that feasible. Um, So really we're going to sit down and kind of see where you're at now and where you want to be, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now and where this property fits into your future plan. Um, The end result of that process is we can look at potential products or some potential financing scenarios um, to kind of give you an idea of of what the financing would look like and how feasible it is for your own plan moving forward. Um, And then, of course, at the end of that process, uh, if everything goes well, we end with a prequalification letter that allows you to go out and start generating offers for those properties and, and be ready to move on them as they hit the market and they're available. Um, In closing, I just want to mention, of course, Brandon Licklider with the Mary's County Bank. Uh, We are an equal housing lender and member FDIC. Um, And if you'd like to run over a possible scenario with me or or visit with me about a potential property, uh, I can be reached at 573-265-4600.
1: Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. Today I have on the program Lee Vogel, and he's with the Missouri Hunting Heritage Federation, and he's out of Kansas City, Missouri. And Lee, in that first segment, man, we covered some great information about the Federation, how you guys got started, your history, and, and what you're Hoping to accomplish uh, with all of the programs that you uh, you guys have uh, presented to children and their parents uh, over the last few years, uh, Lee, do you guys uh, have a method uh, by any means of, of tracking students that have have run through your programs? Do you hear from them, or do you know if they stay in hunting, or any of that we actually of don't
2: have we don't have anything formal. Um, what we do? Well, a couple of things we do. We do have, oh, uh, uh, a sporting clays benefit that we uh, stage every uh, usually last weekend of September, uh, and it is amazing the number of youngsters who have been through their classes that will come up and they'll participate in that uh, in that benefit and that tournament, and they'll walk up to me and introduce themselves because one, I don't remember every one of them, and two, they've <laughs> probably grown a foot since I've seen uh, them
1: exactly, and
2: they'll. They'll show me pictures of hunts they've had and all that kind of stuff. So we do stay in touch. We've also got friends of friends who came through the clinic that we know we keep in touch with anyway. The other thing that we do, uh, and this is something that we have been going uh, around for a couple of years, is trying to find out what what's next for the kids after they've been through the clinic. They, they've they learned about this stuff. They've been on their first hunt. They're all excited. And one of the things that we've tried to do is to invite some of these groups you're talking about, the DUs and the Pheasants Forever and so forth, and have them participate in the clinic itself. And in some cases, they've actually had people who became our members, became one of the mentors for the hunt. And then as we gather around that campfire for that lunch on Sunday, we're able to say, hey, if you guys like this and you want to stay involved, Here's so and so. He's the president of the, uh, you know, uh, Cass County Ducks Unlimited. And if you'd, like to, if you'd like to, you know, stay in touch with other duck hunters and kind of continue this process, here's this guy. Here's his business card. Here's his brochure, and invite them to to join up with one of those organizations. And then we feel like then what we're becoming is kind of a farm team. For these other groups who are looking to continue uh, to grow and uh, hopefully provide them a source of new members,
1: that is a great idea. And of course, having been involved in a number of these programs over the years, and still somewhat involved, mostly with my own grandchildren. Oh, by the way, I got to tell this story about my grandchildren. You know, I had two grandchildren this year. I killed their first deer right here on my property, and uh, that brings it up to three of my grandchildren that have taken deer right here on my personal property. So I'm always excited about that. But uh, having worked in organizations over the years, uh, I, I, the wheels are turning here a little bit. I keep thinking, hey, if you're providing Ducks Unlimited and all these other conservation organizations, new members, well, I'd be hitting him up for a little kickback, you know, <laughs> help us out with our programs. Do you get any of that? <laughs>
2: well, actually, they have the opportunity to sponsor that clinic. And uh, what we'll do is we ask them for a $250 donation and we use that to resupply our, our ear protection, our eye protection, right. uh, burgers for the lunch, uh, ammunition, clay targets, that kind of thing. Uh, and
1: that helps out a bunch. Oh, it it does. And, of course, funds are always an issue when you're talking about programs like this. And I remember Hunter Apprentice School days. Uh, we got in early, I guess, when all the programs were starting way back when, in the 70s and early 80s and that sort of thing. And so many outdoor products organizations just jumped all over these programs. I can remember uh, pretty standard fare at hunter-apprentice schools. We would send each child home with 250 sometimes $300 worth of merchandise. Bill Jordan at Realtree was just tremendous way back uh, in those days for sending— uh, Uh, remember the turkey vest with the drop down stadium seat in them Uh, Bill Jordan Hmm. was one of the first to come out with those and they were so comfortable because you could sit down in those things and kind of sense the seat up tight and you really didn't have to have uh, uh, back support like a tree to lean against in fact you could actually rock in those things if you wanted to I went to sleep in them more (laughs) than once they were so comfortable but he'd send me uh, we'd usually have 20 students so he'd send me 20 of those uh, vests, and boy, we suited up dozens and dozens of kids over the years. Plus, we had companies, you know, send the turkey calls or duck calls or whatever, and so we did a pretty good job in those days. Of course, then what happened was uh, so many programs uh, developed and came about then, and the manufacturers were getting hit it up pretty hard <laughs> mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. did a great job of contributing but it, it got more difficult for individual programs to gather up as as many goodies as they did in in the old days but bass pro was always another big helper i i know i i got a hold of them one time when i was doing a little turkey hunting seminar over in waynesville missouri and i expected a couple dozen kids to show up well bass pro sent me 100 uh, nice box calls, and I wound up giving uh, box calls to every kid in three counties. I think that wanted to Turkey, hunt. but <laughs> <laughs> but you know uh, yourself uh, how difficult that can be at times to uh, to get funds or the things that you need for programs like this. But when you're running a, a program a weekend, you mentioned weekend for a student. Uh, do the parents come, or one parent, or how how do you operate your program?
2: Actually, from the get-go, we require every youngster to have a parent or guardian with them throughout the entire clinic. And obviously, from a liability standpoint, that's really important to us because we want to make sure that the the parents know everything that their, their child is doing while they're there. But we also find that there's a little bit of a side benefit, especially in families that have two or three youngsters. This may mean that for the entire weekend, little Billy or little Susie is going to spend the entire weekend sharing this experience with dad, as opposed to just being run around to basketball practice and soccer games and that kind of thing. They're actually going to have an entire weekend to share with that parent. And uh, we really like seeing that.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that is so impar- important because over the years, the programs uh, that uh, I was involved in, I actually saw cases where parents picked up hunting. They may have been non hunters. And once they saw the joy that their kids had, and then uh, of course the experiences that they had together, uh, we developed some new hunting teams, you know, with dads. some, sometimes we had moms that came with their children when dads couldn't make it. And, uh, It was just such a joy and a delight to to see that happen. And I'm sure that you guys had the same feeling. Uh, People often uh, ask me, you know, man, why do you work so hard at these programs? But that's a satisfaction. I guess it's difficult to explain. But I'm sure that is the grand reward for you and your board members and all your participants as well.
2: Yeah, it is. And I'll tell you what kind of a funny side story to that, too, is that a lot of times, especially if the parents are working with their youngsters, you know, some of this information they get, they'll hear it one way from the parents and they'll hear it differently from somebody else. And, uh, you know, it's one thing when dad gets on your case for pointing that, that firearm in an unsafe direction. But when a total stranger says the same thing, sometimes the kids hear it differently. And uh, one of the parents I was talking to said, "Yeah, this seems to be kind of something. A lot of parents seem to, uh, you know, get a little side benefit out." And one guy responded, "Yeah, my daughter's 14 years old. She doesn't think I know anything." Uh, so
1: <laughs> I've heard that. You know,
2: before. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's like when when somebody else with a You know, a patch on their shirt says, Yeah, you need to do this. And all of a sudden, it's like, Okay, well, maybe dad isn't so dumb.
1: (laughs) Absolutely true. It does give one of the great benefits. But we had had some interesting folks come to uh, uh, our events over the years. You know, I'm sure you know Ralph Duran that uh, used to work for the conservation department. What was his title? Oh, yeah. Wildlife imitator, I think. And put on just some tremendous programs. Well, Ralph, uh, came to our programs back in the day when he was kind of first starting his own program. So we were uh, kind of an experimental base for him. And he still to this day does those programs. I saw a notice somewhere probably on Facebook where he was doing a program over towards Potosi or somewhere uh, just a month or so ago. So Mr. Ralph is still at it. But what an inspiration to kids. Uh, One time I had a local rock and roll band (laughs) Come to one of our camps, biggest hit we ever had, I think, and uh, just some guys who don't have a little local band, but were very talented, and uh, of course they knew all the latest songs that the kids liked and that sort of thing. So it it uh, it it's amazing what these things can turn into sometimes. But another thing that I saw, you know, you bring kids in at eleven to sixteen years old, and particularly those just. Getting into the teenage years, they're kind of having an awkward stage in life, and it was funny to watch them at camp, you know, because uh, they'd come in with mom or dad, and then they they kind of—it took them a while to adjust and and get used to each other. So we played little games and and, uh, kind of forced them to get acquainted pretty quick-like. But the coolest thing ever was to see these kids buddy up and find a good friend— And they would actually keep in contact with each other after the events were over. And I still, man, uh, I've got uh, kids. I remember a young lady by the name of Susan Mabe was in the very first uh, hunter-apprentice school that I ever worked in. And she came back the following year uh, and actually worked as kind of a semi-instructor and came for several years. Now Susan has kids of her own who are about out of high school, you know. And they've all
2: mm-hmm.
1: turned into it great outdoorsmen. It, it truly is, and that, that's one of the greatest rewards of all. But in your p- programs, what's been your experience? More boys or more girls?
2: Uh, we get a fair number of girls. Uh, and actually, uh, just personally, I really like working with them. Uh, as you can imagine, you've probably experienced, you know, the boys come in, they've got a lot of preconceived notions, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then they, they go and they, they shoulder that shotgun and they pull the trigger and the target doesn't uh, doesn't blow, and it's kind of like, I don't understand what happened. This has been going on in my mind forever. I, I don't get it. But a lot of the girls, they, they don't really have those preconceived notions. And to see, you know, a, a young lady uh, who's never pulled a trigger on a shotgun, uh, they'll listen. And they'll, they'll listen to what the, 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 the mentor has to say. And, you know, after about the third time they powder a clay, and you can just see in their face that their whole perception of, of how they see themselves and how they see the world completely changes. And uh, we've, had, we've had young ladies who started the clinic and they came to the class just because they were going to hang out with dad and brother and uh, not really have any intention of, one, taking the course, much less taking the test or continuing on. And they'll get hooked into this, and they'll get up and and have a hunt uh, all the way through the clinic and have a hunt and harvest something. And, you know, Friday afternoon, they had no idea they would ever do anything like this. And by, you know, Sunday night, they've been through the class, they've shot a shotgun, and they've harvested something.
1: Absolutely. And that's quite a process. As you said, it's amazing to see their look on their face when things begin to click and they hit that first clay target or they hit that first pheasant or take their first deer or whatever. But, yeah, that's the experience. I even saw that in the military. You know, you you got – it's amazing. You get people in the military that have never tested a weapon, but the female shooters often learn much, much quicker because they pay attention mm-hmm. to, to detail. Like I say, they don't have – a. They don't have the John Wayne <laughs> frame of mind that mm-hmm. we as males were all accused of having. And it was quite true in the military. But uh, sounds like a wonderful program. But, Lee, let's take just another short break here, and then we'll come back and uh, wrap this up in the final segment of Living the Dream Outdoors. I'm Bill Cooper. It's Christmas time. Merry Christmas. What a better time to give away a gift certificate, a $100 gift certificate, to Academy Sports than right here just a few days before Christmas. Hey, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. I'm Bill Cooper with Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. And quickly, I would like to read off a list of our great sponsors who stuck with us all year this year. And be sure and utilize these great businesses. Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, the Fly Rod Journal, SpokerBuilder.com, Cowtown, USA, Westover Farms. Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stainwater Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tourist, Huzo Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, Cardiac Mountain Outfitters, Mary's County Bank, Rich's Famous Burgers, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinker and Lure Company, and Turnbow Outdoors. All great businesses, and many of them are great outdoorsmen themselves. But, uh, hey, it's Christmas time. I hope you've got plans for family and friends to come over, have a big time, and celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But uh, we want to thank everybody for sticking with us this year, listening to the podcast, and making this bigger and better. But, boy, Christmas, I hope you got all that Christmas shopping done because you only got a couple days left. But if you're thinking about something for the outdoorsman in your life, man, there's all kinds of great things that I would like to have, and I know that other outdoorsmen would, too. Of course, I love to fly fish. Anything fly fishing is always great, but one of the greatest things you can give to an individual who loves to fly fish is flies that you have tied yourself and have a great deal of meaning. I still have dozens of flies. A dear friend of mine, Ron Kruger, who passed away several years ago, uh, left to me, and boy, are they ever a treasure. And I actually... Turned some of those flies into Christmas ornaments. A friend of mine made up some bulbs with some fly fishing decals on them. And in the center from a string hangs flies tied by Ron Kruger. I hang those on the tree every year, and it's a great remembrance. But there's all kinds of great fly rods out there, fly reels, all kinds of equipment. But if you're not a fly fisherman, all kinds of good things. All the guys would like to have a new boat. Maybe Santa Claus is not that good this year, but a lot of great things. Uh, Ammunition is a great thing to buy for outdoorsmen because sometimes it's hard to get and short supply, so get it while you can. And every outdoorsman would love to have their favorite caliber or gauge of uh, ammunition under their Christmas tree. Don't forget the outdoorsman. And if you've got an outdoors dog, I've got a Labrador Retriever and a little house dog, too, a little Yorkie. Uh, don't forget the uh, critters, you know. They like to have a special Christmas treat as well. But uh, it's time for the drawing, and we've got quite a hat full here today. And, again, we're giving away a $100 uh, gift certificate to Academy Sports and Outdoors. And we'll get this in your hands so that, hey, at least uh, you can uh, shop uh uh for christmas which is coming up like i said in just a few days so that outdoorsman in your life if you win you've got a hundred dollars to spend at academy sports all right here we go and the winner for today is lance Jabara. lance is a young outdoorsman and i'm sure that he <laughs> he may spend this hundred bucks on himself well lance it's your gift card and that's uh Certainly all right, but I'll uh, I'll get this to you as quickly as possible. But here, this is the last uh, program podcast of the year, and once again, we want to thank all of our sponsors and all our listeners for hanging in there with us. Got great things coming up for 2022, so be sure and stick with us. And from all the staff at Living the Dream Outdoor Properties and the Living the Dream Outdoor podcast, we'd like to wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. We've been talking about some great programs today. Uh, on the programs, Lee Vogel from the Missouri Hunting Heritage Federation out of Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, some, lead some great, great programs. Uh, this is just so inspiring to me to listen to these success stories of you guys uh, working very hard, I know, and bringing youngsters into the fold of the hunting uh, and outdoors life. And uh, I listened to your voice, and I hear the excitement, you know, because uh, you've obviously— seen dozens and dozens of kids go through these programs and watched them grow as individuals and uh, you mentioned you know just a look on a child's face when they accomplish something in the out of doors it whether it's you know shooting that first clay or first bird or whatever but another facet of that is they're also conscious about you know who's watching me and the other kids around. But it kind of not only builds their confidence, but it kind of raises their status just a little bit among their peers. I know I've got a granddaughter who's now 22, 23 years old, and she deer hunted with me way back, never killed a deer and she had the opportunity but uh, and I never pressured her but she never actually pulled, the I think one time she shot at a deer and she missed and other times we had bucks walk by and she just wouldn't get the job done pulling the trigger and I never put any pressure on her but still to this day she brags and tells people that she's a deer hunter <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, that's cool, I've got kind of a similar story with my, my wife's daughter and you know she went she and her older brother went through the hunter red class. Uh, also, she's only about fifteen months younger—fifteen months younger than her her brother. And the first time that we set up to shoot sporting clays, I think probably within fifteen minutes, she was out shooting them. <laughs> and uh, she has never, um, never uh, brought down a duck. But you know what's interesting is that she loves the lodge, she loves the land, she loves being outside. All I have to do is say, hey, uh, I'm going to do a prescribed burn, and she's on board. She's with me every step of the way. Uh, so, you, you know, the uh, the hunting aspect is one thing, but being outside and, and working outdoors and playing outdoors has become very meaningful to her, and I'm extremely
1: pleased with that oh absolutely you not only get to spend time with her but you you begin to see you know your children and grandchildren begin to understand concepts about wildlife uh, management land management and it ties them to the land you know uh gosh going through college parks and recreation school and outdoor education uh programs it was uh Interesting to me because I was a country boy, hardcore, you know, raised on a crop farm, cotton, corn, soybeans, all those sorts of things. And, of course, I was involved in uh, the Future Farmers of America program and had a a very solid understanding of the importance of soil. And I realized as I got my education, you know, I learned that, uh, hey, we were three generations removed from the soil because you Talk about back around the turn of the century, and even up to the nineteen thirties, the vast majority of our people still lived in rural areas. And then today, we've got like uh, ninety-seven percent of people living on three percent of the land. So, lots,
2: absolutely, yeah, absolutely,
1: lots and lots of people never get the opportunity to really to no, they don't. And
2: you know, just even within our generation, you know, uh, I was a city kid, but. You know, we still built tree houses. We still, you know, caught minnows in a creek. Right. Uh, You know, we still had a family member who either had a farm or a place at the lake or something like that. And we we got to go out and play. And uh, that's just not something that a lot of kids have access to anymore. And it's it's such a shame.
1: It really is. but. You know, we have to be thankful for the fact that people like yourself get inspired, see the need, and take action to get something done about it. Now, I know, I know the struggles, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I know that you guys uh, are very dedicated to what you do. I talk to Kenny Keser quite often about your programs and what's what's going on. But looking to the future, Lee, what are your needs? What, what do you see happening with uh, with your organization?
2: Well, the uh, so far in the time that we've had, we've had over 550 families come through our clinics. And we limit those clinics to 5 to 6 kids because it takes about 15 volunteers to handle that and the course mm-hmm. of a weekend. Next spring, we will have had our uh, we will actually uh, execute our 100th clinic. Oh. Uh, and we like that, but we would like to expand this across the state. And the concept of us being a federation is that we saw ourselves uh, early on as becoming a federation of chapters throughout Missouri, each with their own group of people uh, using our clinic model and uh, being able to develop this statewide. You know, you mentioned how important uh, conservation is to Missouri and the conservation sales tax. I, I go to these meetings of the International Hunter Education uh, Association. And when people find out I'm from Missouri, they look at me and they go, oh, yeah, you guys have that sales tax. Um, You know, they think that's that's really cool, and they can't pull it off in every state. They don't have the the public backing for that kind of thing. So we would like to expand this and really become a statewide organization. And for that, what we're looking for is more people who would be willing to donate one or two weekends a year uh, to assist with these hunter education clinics.
1: Boy, that would be awesome. And uh, I, I know that uh, that would be a dream come true for you guys to see the program to expand. Now, uh, let me ask you, South of Kansas, is there just one group now that that's holding um, uh, programs, or do you have more than one group?
2: We've got a very, very strong. Our oldest group is a Cass County chapter. And then I've started uh, clinics, specifically waterfowl clinics, down in Henry County. And there's two of us that do that in Henry County. We now have another gentleman who hosts the waterfowl clinic up in Saline County. We've also done Jackson and Clay and Platt and Carroll Counties, and I think a couple more in the course of time. But we didn't have the staying power to maintain those chapters. So we ultimately would like to, to, to break out Initially, we were thinking every county in the state, but there's just not that much population in all the counties in Missouri. But we'd definitely like to go for a number of regions of the MDC regions throughout the state and get this thing spread out all over.
1: Absolutely. Well, when you're talking about volunteers, what kind of a person are you looking for? You know,
2: anybody that has a passion for the outdoors and could be, you know, in situations there. We've got people that don't hunt, but they're terrific instructors. They'll also come and help out with the mentor to hunt. They'll help us. Uh, put together a lunch or take pictures or help us uh, 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 with uh, handing out the, the, the firearms, the ammunition, the eye and air protection, and then collecting that afterward. Uh, so we're looking for anybody. But on the other hand, you know, if, if, if somebody is, you know, now the last one of their, their hunting buddies has now gone off to college, uh, the nest is empty. Uh, they uh, they've got the experience and the time to share it but they don't have anybody to share it with uh, we're always looking for people like that as well and you know in addition to that most of the vast majority we really don't do any of these hunting uh, um, the hunting portion of our clinic on public land it's always uh, private land so occasionally we'll have a landowner say yeah go ahead bring some kids on my property we need to prune down this dough herd or something along that line and if, in a lot of cases, if it's just the average hunter, they're not going to re- be interested in opening up their, their land of that. But if they know it's for kids, it's amazing what happens.
1: It it really is. That's an excellent point you you make. I've been flabbergasted over the years to see how many people are willing to open up their their properties. And you know, of course, these landowners are always, in my experience, are usually always going to come to the programs as well. And you can just see their faces beaming with pride that they they have helped establish. Uh, Uh, a a new program and a new opportunity for kids to be able to get into the outdoors and to experience. And a lot of landowners, you know yourself, Lee, that a lot of these landowners, you know, uh, I want to say mature, mature, (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm old like myself they've been around for a while and some of them have built some pretty nice places and i've been in some programs where the programs gave the landowners the opportunity to speak to the kids and to tell them about to tell their story you know about the progress what their place looked like when they first started and all the hard work and labor and love and course dollars that they put into their place and then they've been able to succeed success in wildlife management see deer and turkey return or maybe quail or rabbits because some of them have particular species that they're fond of and they will manage as such but kind of a double-edged sword on some of the properties that we were on not only were there hunting opportunities many landowners have ponds too and it was easier maybe a small lake and it was easy to just bring along little fishing supplies and give the kids a chance to to fish as well too so Mm -hmm. in all the landowners that you you've dealt with over the years uh, do you find that they like to participate in the programs a little bit as well
2: absolutely they do they really enjoy it and and it is interesting, too, because a lot of these, you know, like in the situation that I've got for me personally, uh, you know, I have a group of guys, some of them are, are equity partners and some of them are, are sweat equity partners. And, you know, the hunting season only lasts so long, but, you know, we spend the majority of our time, uh, you know, down uh, uh, cutting brush, uh, spraying weeds, uh, playing in the dirt, as, as I say, just a bunch of grown men playing in the dirt like they did when they were kids. And it's so much fun, and it's it's such a great getaway, and we do this kind of thing year-round. And one of the things that I tell the youngsters is when they're hunting on my property, it's like, you know, if you do well in school and you get yourself a good job, maybe you can find two or three other guys and put your nickels together and create an operation like this. And a lot of times, those kids had never thought about anything like that.
1: Yeah. That, hey, that's just another spinoff of the kids being able to rub elbows with people who have experience and love the outdoors. You know, well, Lee, uh, if people would be interested in starting a new chapter or volunteering, uh, who would they contact? And what's the contact info?
2: The contact info is they can always go to our website, which is MHHF. Missouri Hunting Heritage Federation. dot us, and we're also on Facebook. And there's always a, a place in those places where they can uh, find somebody to contact, and we'll get with them and uh, see what we can put together.
1: Well, I have to congratulate you and your group on the success that you've had thus far. Because, like, I say, I'm I'm an old timer. I've watched a lot of kids go through programs over the years and still as old as i am i get excited when you get talking about uh, kids in the outdoors because as i said my youth youth group is uh my grandchildren and i'm having a great time with them and we hunt and fish and we hike and explore and i've got a grandson right now that's he's like seven years old Little guy for his age, but uh, he's so excited about dinosaurs and archaeology, and his dad actually set him up a little dig in the backyard. (laughs) Of all things, (laughs) and I I have a second cousin who is an archaeologist at the Museum of Natural History in uh, Chicago and he's working on a dig in southeast Missouri uh, where they've discovered a new species of dinosaur. And it looks like the next time he returns, I'm going to get to take my grandson down to that dig. Now, how fascinating and intriguing is that?
2: (laughs) Absolutely. And you know what's interesting, too, and and something a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, we talk about the Missouri hunting heritage, and and that, that heritage started a long time ago. And without me going through all of the different levels, I understand that uh, back up in uh, northeast Missouri, they the archaeologists have actually found evidence of, of people uh, being there 10,000 years ago. And, you know, in this climate, they weren't all eating berries.
1: <laughs> That's for sure. Well, Lee, what a fascinating uh, program you've provided for us today. And I, I hope you'll consider coming back on the program uh uh, at a later date and, and keeping us up to date on what's going on with the Missouri i really Hunting really, Heritage I, really
2: en- I really enjoy that
1: you you bet well folks from myself bill cooper and lee vogel we are living our outdoor dreams and we encourage you too to get outdoors and live your outdoor dreams
3: Hey, guys, this is Frank Cox with Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. Hey, have you ever considered a career in real estate? If you have, but you don't have your license, this is your opportunity. So each month, the Living the Dream Outdoor Properties team is giving away a free seat to the online training that you need to take in order to get your real estate license. We would love to have you join our team. All you got to do is go to our website, livingthedreamland.com, and then click on the Our Team button, and then click on the one that comes up under that that says Join Our Team. On that page, there's an application form. Just simply fill that out and get in contact with a member of our team, and I'll be giving you a call. We appreciate you, and uh, good luck. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown, USA. Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, Cardiac Mountain Outfitters, Mary's County Bank, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors,
0: and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales, unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.